Nikisha, and this is Talking Horror with Jamie and Nikisha, where we share our love for spooky things and talk horror through the lens of human behavior. Welcome, everyone. Hello. <laughs> or should I say, Miss, 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 <laughs> all around? Because today, <laughs> oh yeah, that's a better sound. Well, when you hear the word mist, do you think of like, Six Flags, like, you know, getting, like, cooled down as you're walking through the park? Is that what you think? Yes. That's what I think. I think of, like, Splash Mountain, but, like, not a lot of splash sometimes. (laughs) Like, you know, you're, like, on the outskirts where you don't get, you're not in the splash zone, but you get a little mist on you. Like, Mm -hmm. that's where my brain goes. Mm -hmm. Great. But that's not not what we're talking about today at all. (laughs) (laughs) We're not talking about parks or Disneyland. If you haven't figured it out, today we're talking about the 2007 Woo woo, when I graduated, uh, science fiction horror film, The Mist. It was them! It was them what done it to us! It was them! What brung down the final wrath upon us! Those two Peckerwoods that he's been with this whole time, they hung themselves in the back because they knew. What? They knew it all along! No, oh, he's crazy. He doesn't know what he's Get on your knees! They heard it too! They heard it too, didn't you, all of you? All about the Arrowhead Project and all that secret shit up on the mountain? That's what brung it down on us. That's what brung down the wrath of God. Oh. Private Jessup. It wasn't me. I'm just, I'm, I'm stationed up there. I'm not responsible. Bullshit. Hell, I'm a local. Most of you people know me. Honey. You! Stop your chicken shit whining, <coughs> or I will cut your puling tongue out. Now you tell us. <coughs> tell us. Jamie, you're laughing, but you also graduated in 07, I did. Correct? That's why I laughed. <laughs> yes. Fantastic. What a good year. So this movie was based off of the 1980 novella, The Mist, by Stephen King. And it was written and directed by Frank Darabont. He's French, guys. <clears throat> That's yes. me uh, pronouncing it correctly. <laughs> uh, it stars one Thomas Jane, uh, Marcia Gay Harden, and half the cast of The Walking Dead. So if you're familiar with that... They're all in there, guys. Even Carol, good old Stay Strong Carol is always, uh, always looking for her kids. Um, <laughs> always. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Is it Marsha? I think it's Marsha Gay Harden. Oh, you're right. I was being, I was trying to be proper. Marsha. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Thank you for that. Oh, also shout out to the late, great Andre uh, Brower, who is yeah. in this as well, which I did not realize. Mm-hmm. I had um, forgotten, too. I actually forgot a lot. Mm-hmm. I, like, I didn't remember Sam Witwer was in this. A lot of people yeah. I forgot were actually yeah. in this Yeah, Toby movie. Jones. Like, I, was yeah. Like, I was like, where are these I mean, people a, coming from? Right. It's a stacked, it's a stacked cast. cast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, also, fun fact, this movie, just randomly, uh, this movie was filmed in Shreveport, Louisiana, which is where my mother is from. And we used to visit there every year. Uh, which is really wild that it's because there is nothing in Shreveport, Louisiana. Not that, even that a food, the food house? You didn't go to the food house? 
That's the, that was the exact name of the grocery store too. The yes, food house. The food house. <laughs> it was wonderful. Uh, so obviously heavy spoilers for the mist, not to be confused with the fog, like I did before. And Jamie, please give us all the trigger warnings for this. Um, yeah, this is a, uh, science fiction horror. There's big, scary monsters doing some pretty destructive work on these people insides on the outside, uh, parts, body parts ripped apart. Um, you know, you, you just see some legs, uh, not attached to anything. Just legs. Um, yeah, just legs. You see some flesh ripping, uh, someone on fire, um, and subsequent burns, um, people being shot, uh, people being eaten, people, tentacles sucking people away, uh, bugs cocooning people, lots of bugs. If you don't like bugs or tentacles, major trigger warning for you. Um, yeah, big, big old- bugs yes and then the the major trigger at the end suicides did i miss anything there's like multiple yeah oh yeah yeah yeah. and the hanging oh yeah yeah yeah, you're right yeah i think i block out unpleasant things just forgot the second half of this movie (laughs) blocking out unpleasant things yep there you go (laughs) fantastic okay well yeah there's so there's a lot to talk about in this but before we get into that producer brian please give us all of the words yes we have a special guest today we are so excited this is our first guest of uh 2024 um we're super excited to welcome uh the main man behind the best picture cast which he'll explain momentarily we have kieran black with us today thank you so much for joining us Yes, Woo-hoo. thanks for having me. I wasn't sure Woo-hoo. when I popped through the curtain or not, so I just uh, stayed back. Oh, you could have. Doesn't matter. We we are, we are big <laughs> advocates of talking before you're introduced. A lot of All mystery right. is added to that. Good. <laughs> Good. Right. Yeah, uh, you could add, add crowded supermarkets to your trigger list too. Yeah, that's yes. a good one. Yeah, too. very true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no, I'm super excited to be here, guys. As I love this podcast, you guys uh, just pump out impressive content weekly and. Uh, and you cover so many great films that when it was time to pick one, I wasn't sh- wasn't sure if I, you know I go through the list like please don't be on there, please don't be on there, and the mist <laughs> right? was not. And I'm glad it wasn't, so I'm happy to be here because this is not one I would have wanted. This would this is not one I would have wanted. This is mm, I didn't quite land it. I wouldn't have wanted to miss this one. I wouldn't have uh, missed it. <laughs> got it. Not one I would have wanted to miss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so so um uh before we get into it as a reminder you can find us wherever you get um content we are on uh tiktok uh we are on twitter we are on instagram we are on youtube hi youtube Hello. um uh that is um of course at talk horror pod um but uh we don't want to talk about our pod anymore we want to talk about kieran's pod so kieran um tell me a little bit i mean i know but for our listeners like tell us a little bit about the concept of best picture pod um uh, best picture cast excuse me um tell us a little bit about like your main kind of um content there and then i know you do worst picture stuff and and all of that fun stuff and horror stuff so tell us all about it um it's a super super cool concept um and it's a really fun uh cast with um rotating guests yeah, well, yeah, thanks for that. Uh, Best Picture Cast is something we started, and we're just about to celebrate our, our fourth anniversary. And essentially what we're doing is the main, uh, the main idea around it is, is we're taking a different Best Picture winner from the 95-plus years of, of Best Pictures, 
And uh, we sit down with a, a crew of us. The crew's, I host every episode. The crew's a little different uh, here or there. A lot of returning people. And we just, we sit and we hash it out and we have kind of like a little social circle. Um, you know, we don't take ourselves too seriously, uh, but we um, have a good time talking and we go and we do it long form. So we go every stone to unturn, we, we turn and we bounce around. We don't do it in order. You know, one, one uh, week we're covering something from 1930, the next week we're covering something from the 2010s. And it, it bounces all around there. We're uh, about two thirds of the way through the list by now, which is, which oh, is wow. cool. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, awesome. we're we're around uh, we're in our sixty fourth episode is coming out this week, so cool. Uh, yeah, and it's fun. I mean, you know, sometimes you're talking about something as uh, you know as heavy as The Godfather, and the next the other time you're talking about you know a goofy movie from the '30s, Cimarron, which is considered one of the worst. So uh, sure. we always try to mix a laugh in or two, or you know, and have some fun with it, even though some of these movies can be a little dire or a little dense or just sometimes flat out you know a snooze fest. But we uh, try to have as much fun as we can with them. Um, yeah, in addition, yeah, in addition to that, we do tournaments too. We do social media tournaments on uh, Twitter and mm. and mm. Um, and Instagram, and basically let the people pick what our next movie will be. So we do our horror one every year. Uh, Jamie and Brian, you guys were both involved in that. You had a couple picks in in that mix the, from our draft, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, the winner gets its own episode. So uh, we do one seasonally in the in March. We do kind of like a genre run. And then in the summer, we do a, a sub-51, which is anything that's under 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's kind of our bad movie tournament. Sure. Uh, so that kind of changes the pace a little, so we're not just talking about the, uh, the prestige, quote-unquote, Oscar-type movies. Yeah, we're, my goal in life now is to win that draft and that bracket. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. <laughs> that's my goal. Now that I know kind of like how people vote a little bit more mm-hmm. and like, I've, you know, I've been through the process, like I'm, I'm coming for it next year. I'm invested. Or later this year, yeah. <laughs> well, you'll probably, I still haven't won one, so you'll probably win one before me. <laughs> <laughs> I pick movies like The Mist and never win. So yeah. Well, on that <laughs> note, why why did you pick The Mist? Like, do you love Frankie Boy? Do you love Stephen King? Do you love both of them? Is there? Is, you just wanted us to to see the ending again? Like, what's what? what? <laughs> oh man, how many bullets do we have? No. Um, yeah. Okay. So um, yeah, I'm a huge Stephen King guy, uh, and I'm a big Frank Darabont guy too. My favorite movie of all time is The Shawshank Redemption. Uh, that's mm. my number one. And, um, and I've just, Stephen King's my favorite author. So, um, you know, I, I read Pet Cemetery uh, about 10 years ago and it just blew me away. And I'm like, I got to, you know, that's to, to this day is my favorite book of all time. And I, and I was like, I got to get into more of this guy's stuff and just kind of went on a, a Stephen King barrage from there. And in, in reading a lot of his kind of bigger novels, whether it was Pet Cemetery or The Shining or It or 112263, you know, I, there got to a point where, like, you know, I, he's got these short stories that he's famous for. Too. Obviously, the Shawshank Redemption being one of them, a novella. Right. So let me just get a random, um, a random collection, and we'll just go. And I, so I got the Skeleton Key, and the first story in the Skeleton Key is The Mist, and it is it's the biggest story in the mist. It's also a, a novella, and boy, was I blown away by by this uh, novella. How descriptive is how well he develops the characters and her interactions with this. <laughs> wild setting that he crafted and i had never seen the movie i mean this is when i read the mist was probably like 2015 or so so the movie had been out it was one that i just kind of just never got to and then i was like you know there is a movie on this 
So watch the movie. It was blown away. The movie and the novella end very differently, as I'm sure we'll, right. we'll discuss. The novella essentially doesn't have an ending. They just kind of drive off into the mist, and that's that. Uh, but, yeah, mm. so the, the movie really kind of left an impact on me, too. Frank Darabani only has four works, but, um, you know, all, all ones that I love. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, this, this seemed like a good fit because I get both of, uh, both of my guys in there, uh, Stephen King and Frank Darabont. And as you mentioned, Frank Darabont also was the creator of The Walking Dead. Um, I think was only mm. involved in the first two seasons or so. Um, you know, what, they're up to like 19 by now, I'm sure. Uh, but, um, yes. yeah. So. 11, I'm almost done. <laughs> they were, they were, they were, were they going to die of old age in it? Is that well, it ended. It ended. <laughs> oh, okay. So I'm, I'm waiting. Yes. I'm, 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 I'm making my way. I, I, I'm for some reason, I feel like I need to finish it out of obligation. So I'm, uh, I've got like 10 more episodes left in season 11. I'll watch the movie that's coming out this summer and then I'll, I'll retire it. Wow. I yeah, mean, there's so many sub uh, like TV series too. Yeah, so like, like maybe Fear they will the die of old dead. age. Yeah, like Daryl in France. <laughs> um, yes, but um, yeah, and and Frank Darabont did he he show ran season one. He directed the the pilot, um, and he wrote he he has sole credit on like one or two episodes in season one, which is only six episodes I think, um, and he has partial credit on others, and then. He fired the entire. He, I think, no one really knows what happened, but they like fired the entire writing staff for season two, and he was going to freelance people, and then he ended up like only being minorly involved in season two, and the, but he's still on all the credits as one of the the mm. uh, the creators, so he's getting you know get that yeah. get that paycheck. But um, yeah, it, what, it's interesting because you said he only he only did, he, what is it Shawshank, Green Mile, this and uh, the Majestic, and he just like kind of like doesn't do much anymore at least in front like like from a pr perspective yeah I, I don't know if i don't know what the exact story is if he was um i i think whatever problems he had with the walking dead kind of might have led to his quote-unquote being blacklisted or not being used sure. um mm. or just kind of like they lost his number you know um yeah. but i <laughs> i think he's now kind of just in a semi semi-retirement too you'll see him do interviews here and there uh but it is kind of a shame that he only has the four works um you know, Shawshank being his first and The Mist goes out with that ending. You know, two two movies that have very, very different endings. Um, <laughs> he literally you know, went out with a bang. Yeah. <laughs> or um, he yes. needed one more bang. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but uh, – and Green Mile's a good one too. I, I, I dig the Green Mile also. Love yeah. Green Mile. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Well, let's get into it. You guys are here for it, for <laughs> The Mist. <laughs> Here in it, in the midst of it, yes. yes. Uh, but before, Good actually, one. no, one more thing before we get into a plot summary, which Kieran will uh, happily give to us. <laughs> Did y'all watch anything new before we get into this? I know I haven't had any um, time to. I finished uh, Reservation Dogs, the full the full three seasons. It was spectacular. Not nice. horror, obviously, but like <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to give. I just want to make sure that people know it exists and they can watch it because it's absolutely spectacular. It's only three seasons. It's on Hulu. Um, it's absolutely wonderful. Um, definitely check out um, Reservation Dogs. Mm. Nice. Well, since I've been doing this podcast and making it more known that I love horror, some of my castmates will come up to me and be like, "Oh, I just watched this. Have you seen this?" So there was one girl. I'm gonna shout out Nicole who came up to me and said, oh my God, I just watched Pearl. Have you seen Pearl? And I'm like, don't get me started. 
on my girl Pearl because oh, I love her and we she is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she was like, I was not expecting that. I was like, okay, yes. And now you have to watch X and now you have to wait with the rest of us for Maxine to come out uh, <laughs> so you can have the full experience of Miss Pearl. But fantastic. Okay, well, let's get into this plot summary. Uh, Karen, you have two minutes right. on the clock to give us Scary. as best you can, no pressure, the plot summary of The Mist and Jamie will... Uh, Time you and give you the go ahead. Watch the plot. <laughs> All right, you just let me know when to go. Fire the gun off, and, uh, and we'll be ready to go. <laughs> no, honestly, All right, it's not going to get old. <laughs> that <Yeah>. isn't. <laughs> oh man! All right, so Kieran, you have two minutes on the clock to give us your best rundown of what happens in the mist. You ready? I'm ready. All right, ready, set, go. Okay, so my Tom, my boy Thomas Jane, he's a painter. He's there painting some Stephen King Easter eggs. Uh, there's a big old storm. Um, tree goes through the house. Tree lands on the boathouse. Him and his uh, wife and his son, they go out, and they see the boathouse is crushed. Oh, it was the neighbor's tree. I told him to take that down. Let me go mess with him. So he goes across the street uh, to um, the neighbor, Brent, who um, is really just strong about his car getting crushed. So they seem to uh, bond through their, their tree trauma, and they get in a car, and they head to town, with the son, wife has to stay behind. Um, so they go to the supermarket, the hardware store to get their stuff. Uh, all of a sudden, there's a mist running through the parking lot. Uh, a guy comes screaming, ah, oh, there's something to miss, something to miss. He gets in the, in the supermarket. They're in the supermarket. Everybody's kind of trying to figure out what's going on. There's a little should I stay or should I go thing going on. And um, uh, the Shermanator uh, for American Pie is in the back <laughs> trying to fix a generator. He gets taken away with tentacles, but only some of them see it. So they come out, and then there's this, oh, I don't believe you. This didn't happen. So um, Brent gets his stuff together, and he says uh, he's got his crew, and they said, we're going. So they go, and uh, it doesn't work out well for them. Uh, the people who stay now are kind of doing their own thing. Marsha Gay Harden's in it. She's Mother Carmody. She's kind of like in her own movie uh, doing her own thing. And now um, the nightfall comes, bugs and, and pterodactyls attack, and uh, now – now Thomas Jane's like, all right, we got to get out of here because everyone's starting to join Mother Carmody's movie, and she's talking about sacrificing people. And as we got to, they go to the pharmacy, the spiders. But now they're like, we got to get out of here. So he gets a crew of like eight or so to get in his van to drive off. Uh, only about five of them make it. Three of them, you know, go along the way. Uh, so they go check in on the mom. Mom not doing so well. The spiders got to her, so they got to drive off. Uh, there's some like Lovecraftian dinosaurs going on. Uh, things aren't going well. Uh, they've run out of gas. And we are left with the one of the most effed up endings in movie history, and we will talk about that today. So there we go. The mist. <laughs> Whoa! That's so good. That is great. That is excellent. <laughs> I did my best. I might have missed a couple of so That was one of the best summaries ever. <laughs> yes. And you even left it on a on a cliffhanger. I love yes. that. Right. <laughs> So it's like, we'll, we'll get into it. My favorite thing, though, was the tree trauma. Let's all share in our, our tree, tree trauma. Tree trauma. Oh, tree trauma. <laughs> living, in the, living in the Northeast, the tree trauma is real. And I told you, know, no, I'm not an easily triggered character. So, But mm. I did tell you, when you guys guessed it on BPC, one of my triggers is that alarm sound uh, in the morning when you wake up. <laughs> And I didn't want to hear that today, so I had to get through this thing. (laughs) That's totally, (laughs) totally fair. Yeah. Dennis Reddle, that buzzing sound. Ah, I don't like that. 
Um, so, <laughs> so I think I, that's a perfect opportunity. Let's 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 talk about the ending here. Um, yeah. Literally, just plot, and we'll break it down so that we can all have a more robust conversation about it. And let's also talk about how the novella ends, so that mm-hmm. I'm sure at some point we'll get into like which do you prefer narratively? Which one do you think supports the 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 narrative in general and and do we think that either of them undercut the narrative or enhance the narrative and what is your view on life and and that to to like to supplement that um so in the movie they run as as kieran mentioned they run out of gas um they see this lovecraftian beast with the tentacles and basically you know with everything they've been through they're at the end of their rope um they only have four bullets left um, and they all make a group decision that they're going to end it. And then Thomas Jane is going to be the one left over. He's going to go out of the car and attempt to be basically eaten by whatever is in the mist. So he does it. Uh, he that is inclusive of Dale from The Walking Dead. That is mm-hmm. inclusive of um, uh, what's her name? Uh, uh, Francis Conroy. No, it's not Francis Conroy. It's uh, uh, I don't know, um, but Adrian Stern, from Sternhagen. Yeah, Francis Sternhagen. <laughs> Sternhagen, yeah, from the Misery. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, from Misery. Um, <laughs> and then you have Laurie Holden, Walking Dead. Uh, and The Shield and, then, and uh, X-Files, too. <laughs> yes. And then you have uh, his son, uh, Billy. Oh, Billy. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, and so he kills all of them. Uh, and then he's going out calling, you know, for the monster to get him, essentially. And then what happens? A tank rolls through. The mist starts to evaporate. He realizes that the troops uh, from Project Arrowhead um, have rolled in and essentially are rolling back the mist. Um, if they only had waited a minute or two later, five minutes, um, they would have been saved. Uh, that is how the movie ends. The novella ends where they do get away. They're driving through the mist. Um, and long story short, um, while they're listening to the radio, the Thomas Jane character, um, <clears throat> um, David, hears um, – he thinks he hears the word Hartford over the radio um, it, signifying some sort of potential hope. Uh, and, and they keep driving and, and there's no, and you don't to find out, um, you know, anything more than what they're, there's no, aside from the soldiers kind of like letting them sort of know in the grocery store, like there's no concrete evidence of what exactly happened. Um, like the movie has where the, the troops actually saved them. So the, that's the end of the novella. Um, just so we have that for our listeners and for us in general, when mm. we're talking our likes and gripes. Um, yeah, but, I didn't know uh, that. Yeah. So, Nikisha, let's turn it over to you to introduce our next segment. All right, guys, let's get into it with our first segment of likes and gripes. And now, our likes and gripes. And I guess I will start because this is my first time watching this movie. Um, but I feel like somewhere along the way, I might have saw, might have seen like a watch mojo of like the ending. It was still a surprise mm-hmm. when it came, but then it was like, oh wait, I kind of remember this this vibe after it happened. So it was still I was still very shocked uh, when that ending happened, and I didn't know what happened in the novella. So it was good to uh, have that as a reference as well. So uh, as I always do, this is going to be a combo of likes and gripes uh, as I just go through my notes here because a lot of um, exclamations uh, here as I was watching this movie. (laughs) So (laughs) 
first off, I like that it starts with the storm. It doesn't have like this huge thing of exposition or this huge buildup into the mist. It's like it all happens within like 15 minutes of the movie. It's like we're here. There's yeah. a storm. They're stuck in the grocery store. And so I was like, yes, I appreciate this because the movie for me is mostly like how people are handling and reacting to what's happening. Like that's what I'm more interested in Mm -hmm. as opposed to being interested in how the mist got, how it was, you know, like that could be a separate movie in itself, like whatever. But I was very much intrigued with the characters that were introduced, um, how they were all going to try and survive this together. So yeah, uh, that's on my legs too. The, the speed at which this movie gets started, um, mm-hmm. is definitely right on my list. And the exposition is done in, 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 in pockets, um, and, and, and done more through character reactions than it is through like, Oh, voiceover or like, I'm going mm-hmm. to the grocery store and we're probably going to see people I don't like that I sued last year. Like there's none yeah. of that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. That's true because you don't know, especially with Andre's character, you really don't know, that he was like an outsider of sorts Mm -hmm. until like he's with the locals in the grocery store. Like they do reference him being like a lawyer from New York, I believe, Mm -hmm. but it was really nice to see his interaction like with the locals in the grocery store and finding that out through, through that, as opposed to like you said, Brian, just other ways of exposition. And, And I thought some of the camera work earlier in the movie, especially on, uh, Andre Brower's car, uh, where they clearly show the New York license plate because, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's locals and so many people vacation in Maine that like there's locals and, 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 and then there's people who own like summer homes up there and stuff like that. So like, that's also just like, you're, 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 you're purposefully tying in those visual cues to support what happens in dialogue and character relationships, like a couple of scenes later, which I think is really well done. Yeah. Yeah. That, that exchange with uh, Andre Brower in the uh, amazing actor uh, in the, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, in RIP, but in that, that exchange of him doing the whole, you're playing a prank on me thing. um, That is one of those in the novella. It didn't really work for me in the novella. I'm like, come on, just look at the thing Mm -hmm. and see but the the way he delivers it on the screen, you get it because it's yeah. like you know you have this on the out of towner. Um, and the other thing that Frank Darabont said that that um, that Brower brought to the role is he added like the under the undertone of racism in there too, yes. where it's like I'm I'm not just the out of uh, out of towner here, but you guys are in your your small town here and you're treating me differently because mm-hmm. of my race as well. And it's not it's he doesn't come out and say it; it's an undertone. And um, the way he delivers that acting performance is, is just incredible. Um, and just another quick note on Andre Bauer, too, is that there was supposed to be a scene, exactly what you guys are talking about, you're thankful wasn't there, of hmm. the military letting the mist out of it in the very beginning of the movie. Mm. Um, that was how the, that was in the script. And Andre Brower is the one who read the script to Darabont. They had dinner together and he goes, do you need that in the beginning? I don't think you need that. And Darabont's Work. like, oh, God, you know, he's right. He's right. This is too much. <laughs> And uh, and and it totally sets the tone because it creates that level of mystery to this movie. Mm-hmm. Mystery, yeah. mystery. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> <Sounds Yeah. funny. laughs> All right, I landed one. I landed one. Of wow, them. <laughs> you just had like a real Pee Wee Herman moment there, where it was yeah. like, "Oh my God, the secret word." We need like alarm bells going off. <laughs> Obsessed with that. <laughs> Well, uh, to to keep on the Andre track, though, a gripe I did have was that he felt like he was such an important character at the beginning that I was sad that after he left 
I didn't see him again. Hmm. Even if to not, even if to conclude that like he did die um, and just like maybe seeing his body at the pharmacy, you know, or whatever the case may be. Mm. Like I, I would have preferred to at least have him have an ending because he felt like such an integral part at the beginning. Uh, otherwise just have him be like a side, you know, whatever, whatever, you know. Um, but it's him and he's a star. So like show his body, show his dead body. He'll still be mm-hmm. a star. You know what I mean? Like it, it'll be, it, it, I think that it would be um, more helpful to have a conclusion for him in that as opposed sure. to just walking in the mist. Yeah. Uh, I put damn all of the walking dead is here. Exclamation point. Uh, <laughs> love it. Cause I didn't realize like y'all told me Andre, uh, Andrea, is that who's her name in the Andrea? In, Andrea, sorry, yes. Uh, but then it's like Carol and Dale and like all these people. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, also, what I didn't like was the tension be, uh, bet- between Adrian and the and Thomas Jane. Because it was kind of, it felt a little forced, like movie, oh, here's a connection to let you know that like they'll end up being together in some kind of way towards the end. Um, because how they were looking at each other in the grocery store, even before everything was popping off with the mist, it was just kind of like, this feels a little like forced and the, he's married. With the like, why is he... character, like the, the, yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes, yes, Amanda. yes. Sorry. I'm going to call her uh, Adrian from now on. Sorry. Representing <laughs> the walking dead. That works. But yeah. yes, that's what I'm talking about. Okay. Um, and yeah, that just seemed like a little, a little like forced to me. But I love the really creature, and have I liked, love. Uh, you really wouldn't have liked the forced sex scene in the novella between the two of them. Too. <laughs> 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 <It completely laughs> why? I, I know. That's I don't know. That's good old Stevie King and his typewriter. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's like I, I guess I understand the narrative of like everyone is about to die do whatever but also like you don't know what's exactly happening so let's like put our energy and attention on figuring out like what's going on as opposed to like sexual chemistry between yeah. you know people you know priorities uh, anyway yeah say it again <laughs> priorities like- priorities yes uh, I loved the creatures and I thought the CGI was pretty good for its time oh my god thumbs up hi <laughs> <laughs> why did that do that does mine do that I don't know, oh, but that's, it did it. That was um, wild. That was really wild. <laughs> Sorry, if you are on YouTube and you see the thumbs up emoji just came up when I thumbs up, but it's not happening with anybody else. Mm. Uh, okay, I think the practical effects are really good too. Of course, I love the spiders inside the body. I thought <clears> that was uh, excellent. Y'all know I love gross things. So, uh, and the legs that we talked about that were like pulled away with the <laughs> rope, so I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, <laughs> It made me laugh. I, I, was, I thought that was hysterical. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, yeah, that's what yeah. this is. Mm-hmm. It's, I love, you know, pra- I love a good practical effect. I love it. With like it's the just, intestines it's, like coming out and then it just like gets exactly. swarmed away. That was yeah, cool. That was, I like that. That yes. was great. When the, yes, when yes, that yes. like, that expos that um <clears throat> that exterior shot of of the legs going like and the rope but the like the little intestine like flutters behind yeah. it was very cool. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. The whole storytelling um, through the rope is is just a great bit of like classic movie monster stuff where it's you're yeah. pulling the rope and you're pulling the rope and then all of a right. sudden it goes go cra- and then and then mm-hmm. the, then the rope's got blood on it. And it's like uh oh yeah. you know that's so just I, 
I wrote down every time that Jamie said something during this movie, and one of them, one of them was like, "A lot." I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. But one of them was like, "When once when Thomas Jane, first of all, she was like, put on gloves before you touch the rope. You know it's gonna go through your hands." But the other one was um, when when it goes up, like because obviously like something's like pulling him. She's like, "Oh no, he's in the air." (laughs) (laughs) I just thought like it was it was really effective storytelling because like they have no idea what's going on and just everything that could go wrong in that situation does without you really seeing anything until the end of that scene. But like, I just thought that that was a really effective way to demonstrate the threat without them even seeing what the monster is. Cause even after all that, when you see the lower half of a body, you have no idea what actually caused that. And I thought that was Mm -hmm. just a really effective scare. Yeah. I, I I agree. I thought that it was it was very effective. There was a lot of a nice like effective scares, even when they're all in the back and the person is like wanting about to go out to fix the generator and then gets mm-hmm. like sucked in with all this stuff. I thought that that was good. But also in that very same thing, I was like, nobody heard all that commotion in the front. Like this grocery store is not that big, and for <laughs> them to not have heard what was happening, I was like, this is a huge gripe. Like what? I have you are a yelling major, and screaming. I have a major gripe with that entire scene because yeah. I and I'll I I will hold my tongue until it is my turn, but I really don't appreciate how like the the main character is like trying to say like I heard something weird and everyone's like whatever whatever and like insulting him and then they go through this whole thing and then the one guy's like well how was I supposed to know what you meant like he <laughs> told you and I find that so yes. frustrating and then nobody else seemingly hears any screaming or like banging around or anything. I just thought that was absurd. It's the food house. Yeah. I don't know what the acoustics <laughs> are like in the food house. <laughs> <clears throat> but so if we're talking about that scene specifically, and yes. I'll get to my gripes as well. But while we're like just kind of in it there, <clears throat> I think that that's one of the moments where character relationships don't work without context. Um, I mm. think that when when he's like, don't yell at me, college boy, like you're a famous artist and all that. Like, to me, that was very silly and like stereotypical, like hickey. Um, yes. That doesn't work for me. In concept, I think the idea that there is the locals versus the tourists, you have mm-hmm. that kind of generalization. Then within yeah. the locals, you have like ed- more educated, more like blue collar, more creative type, more like, and you, and you get that like aspect of things. And obviously that's what that's trying to demonstrate because as things get a little bit more like scientist, science and religion, and, and it breaks mm-hmm. down into even more sex, like it keeps breaking down and breaking down in concept. I love that. I think this movie displays that really well, but in those character moments, I think that without certain amounts of context, those come off as funny and silly and are more effective when thinking back, but in the moment come off as stereotypical unlayered mm-hmm. characters. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, Brian, you kind of, that was one of my main likes for this one too, is, is that a lot of times these types of movies tends to be good guys versus bad guys or the people who know the truth versus people who are mm-hmm. doubting them. And it's just what, you know, should we stay or should we go? And that's it. This one keeps, cha- they keep changing sides and changing issues in this movie. And it's, they're disagreeing, but now they're just dis- like, like, for instance, Thomas Jane says, we have to stay. But later on in the movies, he's like, we have to go. 
You know, so it, it mm-hmm. shows that there's there's complex reactions to all of these things. And then like when you go to the layers in, in the characterization of, yeah, you do have, you know, you do have your locals and, and your tourists, and then you do have the rich and the poor. You do have the old and the young. You do have the military guys in the there's a, There's a lot of different dynamics in this thing. And it makes for uh, an interesting watch and an interesting rewatch because you can you can get into these dynamics each time you see this film. Um, you know, I don't know how rewatchable the ending is, but you know, we'll uh, we'll yes. sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, just speaking on dynamics, another thing that was a little bit of a gripe for me where sometimes I felt like people were moving a little bit too slow in their reactions towards uh, things and making decisions, uh, especially when the when the the night scene happens. And they're trying to deal with like the monsters and it's like clear that they're attracted to light, but people are turning on more lights. And I'm like, this is not a, you know, townsperson versus, you know, uh, an out of towner or whatever. This is kind of like common knowledge that I feel like adults (laughs) should know as far as like, you see people are turning off these lights. Like, why are you lighting more lights? Um, But the dynamic with the church lady was interesting because I was equally annoyed as well as like, I understood her purpose in it, especially with like the mob mentality. And also this is a direct reflection of my Mm. church background. And so I was absolutely Mm. uncomfortable at everything that Mm. she was saying. So like message received uh, (laughs) with that. And it was also interesting too, though, because they they pinned her as a quote unquote like crazy lady, right? And I feel like that wasn't the right term to use for her yeah. because for me it seems like if you're talking about a crazy woman who's out of her mind, who's like saying random things, who does who uh, is not um, conscious of of what's happening and stuff like that, she's very aware of what's going on and what's happening. She just has a very very deep like religious belief. Yeah. So like I don't think that they calling her like a crazy woman was. Um, I guess as powerful or for lack of yeah. a word. Yeah. Cause she felt, and, and, and it, again, I don't know if it's the script or the performance by an Oscar winning actress, um, yeah. not for this, not for this. Um, but um, <laughs> my question there is, and Jamie and I talked and I'll let Jamie talk about that in her gripes a little bit, but like defining her as a crazy person is uh, a, there's a lot to unpack here, but that's a, ju- I don't know if that's a judgment on, the writer's part on the screenwriter's part where we're judging that Mm. character for the audience. I don't know if that's just the individual's opinion of that character. I also don't know if that was done on purpose to set your expectations as a viewer to a certain level, because she's actually way more calculating the moment that, that like that, that roach fly, you know, the thing doesn't, um, attack her you know obviously she's calm so it leaves her alone but like she sees it as something else because she has that belief so i think that in this in my personal opinion the screenplay is super basic about her i think she's a very stereotypical religious character um and um marcia gerhardin brings something more to that but at the end of the day i think that it's it's really just a a 
uh, a piece that a chess piece that you need to have in a movie like this, a religious mm-hmm. chess piece that you're putting into play. And obviously that builds over the course of the movie as people start to turn towards towards that. But I do think that just gen- in general, the character really does come off as just a pawn played by a very good actress. And there, there, I wish that that character had way more layers. I think that would have been a much more interesting that character would have been way more interesting as opposed to like, I'm just not supposed to like her because she's a crazy person. There's a lot of stuff that I'm still struggling with in my head about that character on this rewatch. They they do have the one scene with, with her and Amanda where they're kind of off to the side and that grounds her a little bit because on the page in the book, she's a very bombastic character too. I think she's like a, she owns a a shop with, um, I, I, I don't remember exactly how they, uh, how they, fill her out in the in the book is they but it's it's all very larger than life type of stuff which is tough to bring to the screen and i thought that little exchange with her and amanda there where you just kind of got to see them talking away from it a little bit about life outside of here and you got to get a little bit of humanity out of out of her but i i would have liked more too brian yeah yeah it's just i go back and forth to brian with her because I liked that her purpose led to mob mentality. Like I, yes, I like totally. how Evil her stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Evil, Evil dies tonight. tonight. You can't get away Evil from Halloween. Tonight. Oh man. Oh, I love it. But yeah. So like her purpose, but like how we get to, uh, I guess that like the inner the inner workings of her herself. It was just kind of like left some things for the you know totally imagination. Uh, last couple of things. Um, damn, what a tough decision with the gun and all the stuff. And I was like, shit, this is a heavy movie. I was not expecting, uh, this ending that is wild and crazy. And I don't know if I could have made that decision. So it's just, it it was just an interesting thing that that's where the movie went. Um, I think I don't know if I would have liked the book ending better or not. I don't know. I would have to see how it would have been played out if the movie did the book ending to see if I actually would have enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, it was a really fun watch. Uh, like I said, um, I, I love that everyone from The Walking Dead was in it. I love the practical effects. I loved the, the I thought the CGI was really good for the time. Um, and I liked the context, even though there were some uh, holes in it for me. I, I really just did enjoy watching a movie about people trying to survive like the unknown. Um, because I feel like just watching how people are going to respond to the unknown is, is interesting enough for me, uh, to be invested, uh, whether or not, you know, they make the right decision or whether or not like things are interconnected. Um, it was so just a fun, uh, first watch. Yeah. Kieran, please give us yeah. your likes and gripes. Yeah, so uh, th- I'm going to start the first like I'm going to start uh, uh, here with, and I have my uh, my 4K edition here, Ooh. the mess that I got for this here, four discs. Nice. And on this, it has a black and white version of this film, cool. and I cannot emphasize more. If anyone has the uh, the access to watch it, watch the black and white version. It is leaps and bounds a better experience. Um, in 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 mood in vibe um some of the cgi things that are a little bit 2000s get corrected with the black and white like the tentacles mm-hmm. and whatnot um i i kind of you know I, I did i watched parasite in black and white and to me it didn't really bring 
too much to it. I know there's a black and white version of, of Bon Joon-ho's Parasite also. Didn't do much. And the color is very vibrant in that film. But, mm-hmm. man, it was so clear right in the storm in the beginning and, like, the wreckage of the storm. I'm like, ooh, this is, this is something. So if anyone has the ability to go, I don't know that you can stream it anywhere. But um, it is on the, uh, the the DVD versions and the Blu-ray versions, so that's right out of the gate. I, I like I wouldn't want to watch this movie in color again after seeing it in black and white. That's how that's how that's cool, cool of an experience it was. Yeah, that's yeah. really cool. Yeah, I I can. This has this that ha- this has like a universal monster movie vibe to it. I'm sure in black and yes. white that really pops even more. That's super mm-hmm. cool. And also like a Twilight Zone vibe to it. Also, yeah. so you kind of feel like you're watching mm-hmm. a long yeah. Twilight Zone episode, mm-hmm. um, and that uh, goes into the uh, to the ending, which is very Twilight Zone um, sure. in that. And I do appreciate a big swing, and I do think the ending works for what he was do- trying to do with this film. And um, I like kind of the big Twilight Zone finish there. Um, I just have so many nitpicks with what their game plan was. Like what. What are they doing? Yes. Like they're just driving yes. into exactly. the mess, just driving totally. and you know taking pictures of the big walking camel or what you know like what, <laughs> right. what are we what are we <laughs> like doing a here? Like, ride. Can we yes. find a hotel? Can we find like a, a, a yeah? Ba- a, somebody's got to have a closed something. door in a house. Yeah, Gas something. stations still work. You know siphon, what I mean? Like yeah, totally. siphon from other tanks. You know, we're just <laughs> what is he just? He's just got the gun. He's like, well, we're just going to drive until I get to use this gun. Um, yeah, I just, yeah I just, totally. I don't, mm-hmm. and and I just don't. I would be like, listen, Thomas Jane, you want to do your little, you know, murder suicide thing in here? That's fine. <laughs> I'm getting out of the car and I'm gonna go figure something out. If I gotta get yes. eaten by a pterodactyl, I gotta get eaten by a pterodactyl. Totally. All right, but I'm not taking a bullet to the head from Thomas Jane. All right. Um, so uh, yeah, so that that, uh, and it's like it's one of those is you you have to realize you're watching a you know a, a allegorical horror film or whatever, and you just you put the nitpicks aside. But I just right. every time I see the ending, I'm like, "Come on, what's the what's the plan on paper here, fellas?" Um, yeah, so yeah. that that kills me. Um, uh, it's funny, Nikisha. One of your gripes was actually one of my likes in the turning on and off of the um, the the uh, the lights. The well, lights, the, yeah. Because to me, it just it just showed how hard it is to wrangle uh, logic within a chaotic crew like this. You know, mm. it, you know, if it's mm, if it's fair. like six of you, all right. They're coming to the light. We stop. But there's like 50 plus people in this thing. And they're right. And all right, we figured out that, that they're attracted to the light. There's always some idiot in the back like, we need to see what's going on. And he's turning lights on. So, so I, I just kind of thought that was a nice little touch of chaos in it. Of course, so, I'm screaming at the TV. What are you turning the lights on, you idiot? You know? Yeah, yeah. So I <laughs> fell right in between you two. I originally wrote it in my gripes. And then Toby, um, <clears throat> Toby Jones has that line where he like figures it out. And then somebody says, I'm like, but they're turning the lights on the back. Tell them to turn it off. And then, like, I thought that the dialogue that was added to that chaos clearly stated the miscommunication that was a foreshadowing for, like, what else was to come. So it was actually a light mm. and a gripe for me because, like, it's funny that you both said that and, and I felt, yeah, like, yeah. right in between. Yeah. That's totally, totally, totally nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, a, a, a like for me. And I, I love a film that takes place in, like, one setting um, and mm-hmm. a, a bevy of different things happen within that setting. Um, you know, th- they come at night kind of thing, you know, oh, it's nighttime. Geez, the bugs are coming again. You know, mm-hmm. there's always something, something different's always happening. The plot's always moving. The story's always moving, but we're staying in the same place. So I, I think that's a- always like a fun experience and particularly in, in the horror genre. Um, love the character work, the ensemble character work, uh, in this thing. Uh, it was really well cast. It was a mix of, you know, you have kind of your, um, your, 
more well-known people than the people that he's used to working with. You see a lot of people who are on Shawshank or on Walking Dead and then a lot of local actors. So like Carol on The Walking Dead was just a local actor and they and she blew everyone away with that scene of her walking out. And uh, I think because of that, he probably cast her as a main one of the main people on The on the Walking Dead. I know she's not a very popular character in The Walking Dead, right? She's, yes. I think both she's her and her. She's the pendulum. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And and Lori Holt was Lori Holden wasn't very popular on that show either. I remember uh, hated her. her. Yeah, no, she annoyed the hell Lori out of Lori Holden that was not popular on that yeah. show for sure. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah, and uh she she's great on the shield and she's uh, she's good in X-Files too. She's in like earlier seasons of X-Files as like one of uh, Mulder's informants. Uh but I think she's pretty good in this in this film um too. So, mm-hmm. uh but I remembered her annoying the hell out of me on on Walking Dead. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um you know, the CGI tentacles were a little bit, uh, you know, and I like kind of the practical effects they do. But outside of that, like, I mean, the, the bugs and the, and the flying birds and all the stuff they see outside, like the crab and the, that stuff's all done pretty well. Um, I think it's the same crew that did Guillermo del Toro's uh, Pan's Labyrinth uh, that did the Aye. effects on huh. this one. So, nice. um, and the black and white really kind of smooths that over and makes that a little, sure. a little <clears throat> more agreeable. Well, the character design of those like flying bugs is nuts. Mm. Yeah. Like, when it, like it's got like weird teeth and a face and a smile. Like, yeah, totally like <laughs> weird teeth. very Del Toro. And a like face that and <laughs> yes. No, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Oh man, when she, when it bites the girl in the neck and she starts like blow, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, that was oh, gross. That's, that's, yeah, very that's Willy Wonka. <laughs> <laughs> that that was the the sixth child. That died. Yeah. <laughs> My daughter's a blueberry. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, listen, I really like this film. I, I, I do. I kind of like it every more, uh, uh, every time I see it, I like it more and more. Um, that being said, I don't watch it that often because <laughs> the ending is <laughs> sure. a lot to stomach. So, um, but, uh, yeah, this is one that I try to, I try to go back to when I can and, um, you know, there are nitpicks here and there that, that kind of drive me a little nuts while I'm watching it, but I can always get past, get past that stuff. Yeah. Uh, and Marsha yeah. Gayharden is, is, is a force, is a force to be reckoned with in this movie, literally. Absolutely. Even though I was like so happy that she, when they shot her and died, oh. which I also <laughs> forgot the quote that I loved after she got shot and they're trying to get to the car. And the guy was like, I wouldn't have killed her under any other circumstance. And Thomas was like, yeah, that's why I said thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a, a crowd uh, erupts moment there. That yes, one. that's a good quote. That's very that's very mad men like, like, you never say thank you. That's what the money is for. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Love it. Obsessed with it. All right, Brian or Jamie, would you like to go next with your likes and gripes? Go for it, Jamie. Um, I will go. So I have seen this movie once before. I think I saw it mm-hmm. when it came out. And then I I was good. I was okay <laughs> if I did not watch this movie again. Uh, not because I hate this movie, but again, I've mentioned this many times on the podcast. I don't like sad endings. Mm-hmm. I want That's I fair. want an alternate an alternate reality outside of our own where everything is wonderful and and like meanwhile I'm having like an existential crisis watching this movie so when when I heard that this was the movie that you picked here and I was like 
oh God, like literally this is the only reason I would ever watch this movie ever again. So thank you for having me revisit this. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I just, um, yeah, really the ending has stuck with me ever since I watched this movie. And so I just, I know everything. I, I didn't remember everything that happened, but I just know it's like all building up to this like really devastating ending. So it's like, okay, like let's get back into this world and see kind of what else is happening that leads them to making that decision to see if it makes sense and like is justifiable despite it being so upsetting and devastating. Um, so I think that I, I have very mixed feelings about the character development, kind of like what Brian was saying. Like sometimes I feel like it really lands and makes sense and is believable, especially between like the, the, the townies and like the tourists and, or locals and the tourists, um, that there's like this tension and animosity, um, between like people who are seemingly more educated and, and less so, but there's these other interactions that I just have a really hard time believing them to be real. And I think part of that is like, sometimes the characters come across to me as very one note and I find it like disingenuous and sometimes boring because I, I, I'm just like, this isn't how humans act. Or maybe I'm just so frustrated at like the, the personality that like, I just have a really hard time with it. So it's like revisiting the Marsha Gay Harding character is so tough. It's so tough to sit with her. It's like mm -hmm. deeply uncomfortable, but there are these moments where it just feels super one note. And then I think as it evolves, as she gains more power, I find, I find her character, like, I mean, she's terrible, but like a little bit more believable there. There's like yes. not enough. I feel like in the first half that almost, I don't think that anything she's doing in particular makes it believable for her to gain the following. I feel like it's just the coincidence of everything that's happening. And, and she, and like there are moments where I think she times what she says more effectively as it goes on that like makes her character even more insidious and, and manipulative. But in the beginning, it just feels super one note with like the, like it's the end of times. It's like, uh, ma'am, I'm just trying to bag my groceries and get out of here. It, it just like, <laughs> right. it just seems so yeah. outlandish and like bizarre. And so it's interesting that like, I feel like in the beginning, her character's super flat and then she kind of like grows a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's also like very hard for me to just like not, I'm not interacting with this character, but just being in the presence of this character that I detest so much. Um, it's very hard for me to like sit with it. So I'm like trying to separate, like, I, I know it makes me personally uncomfortable and I'm not going to like be mad at the movie for that. But I will say that it's not the type of thing that I enjoy sitting through. It's not fun. Mm -hmm. But also, Jamie said something to me during the movie that I hope I can share is that oh. <clears throat> Marsha Gay Harden typically plays more um, upper crust type characters. Um, she usually plays someone who is wildly educated. She's usually playing the the grounding source or like, you know, to the crazy character in the movie. Or she's playing like the motherly character who is a little bit more like buttoned up and like more proper and whatnot. So while she's a powerhouse of an actress, Jamie made the point of like, 
by casting Marsha Gay Harden, you're setting weird expectations for what you this character is supposed to be. So yeah. mm-hmm. it's it's Does very that- weird. There's like this weird tension in my head of who I'm expecting, like how I'm expecting her to act based on like not historical context for this character or this movie, but based on historical car- context for other characters that she has played in other things. And so it's like, it's kind of like the the opposite of what we've talked about where, you know, they cast certain certain actors in like villain roles and we know that they're the villain only because they're like top villain in the movie, but it's yeah. not normally what they would play. But for this, I feel like it almost undercuts it because I'm like, I don't believe, I, I like have an even harder time believing that this character is real because like, because of who is playing her. I feel like there's something about the actual casting that makes it harder to to like digest and stomach her because I don't believe that she would play this person. It's such, sure. it's such a silly thing, but that's just, I don't know. I'm like, no, she would actually play the Andre Brower character in my brain. More, yeah. like that's mm. more believable to me. The New York lawyer. Play. Yes. Yeah. A thousand percent. That's who I'm expecting her to play as. And it's like, I know I have to like leave my own expectations at the door, but I just found it really hard to do that with her in particular, even though I think she's like effective at being this like villainous, awful person. But it just, it just like sits really weird with me because that's not, those aren't the characters that I ever expect her to play. Maybe with the exception of Flubber. Because I forgot that she's in that movie. Um, but besides from that, um, I mean, she's still a wonderful character in Flubber. Um, but uh, but yeah, it just I I she it gets was, done dirty in Flubber. She really does. Flubber is a really upsetting movie. Yeah, <laughs> I have not visited revisited that, but now I will just just so oh, I can you see. should we re- we revisited like last year or something like that, and like wow. I think you need to revisit. Flubber. It is a wild. Um, it's absolutely it's wild, wild. Yeah. Wait. Mild side note: she the character that he, like he's supposed to get married and yes. she to her. Yes. Okay. yes. I'm yeah, with yeah, you now. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you now. Right. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> the way he treats her is unacceptable. It's anyway, awful. This is not. This is yes. not the mist. Not flubber. You're a good point. It's not about flubber. <laughs> maybe flubber is like a prequel to the mist. Maybe yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Flubber accidentally opened the yeah. yeah. Some the the, he, they say the scientist. The science. Something went wrong with the scientist, and <laughs> you know maybe the the flubber is what came out of another. Dimension. That's why she I, turned I to know. God because science yeah. done her dirty. No. Yeah. <laughs> Robin Williams. Uh, yeah. Her her true sequel. love didn't didn't yeah. connect, yeah. and then. Yeah, now she's uh, right. Now she's preaching um, at supermarkets. Uh, I will say I do like the I like the foreshadowing in the beginning uh, when they see all of the like military vehicles driving in the opposite direction. Um, I liked the mist on the water, but then but it it wasn't moving particularly quickly. And then at, mm-hmm. once they were in the supermarket, it was like, ba-bam, like it just like rolled in very fast. And that's that was the start of where I had a problem with the CGI. For me, it was like very, very bad. It was like distractibly bad. Um, so like when the mist came in really fast, I was like, this, it just looks like a big 
like fart cloud that comes in and like was just very distracting. And then, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then I really, I had a huge problem with the tentacles. The tentacles look, look very fake. I think the thing that saves the tentacles is when they, rip in the when they're in the back with the generator scene um and the shermanator is getting attacked when they're like ripping the chunks of his flesh off of him that that like brought me back in that like something disgusting needed to happen to him to like make the connection between the cgi and the character aside from just the pulling um so like that that i think helped and like adding gore to that scene made it Mm -hmm. made it more believable um I also really hated when they, uh, like, they chopped off the piece of the tentacle and then they go back and revisit it and they poke it and then it just like disintegrates into water. Um, yeah. Like that it's was mist. really weird. No, it wasn't. It didn't turn into mist. It literally turned into water. Yeah, I it was a puddle. Water. Yeah, yeah I but there know. was a puddle on the ground. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally, totally. Um, which is why I'm like, man, maybe we should have watched this in black and white because I, I, I'm very curious about like how the tentacles and like that scene looks, just like feeling more real and and like just not yeah. being distracted by kind of like the the fakeness of it again, which yeah. is why I really like practical effects because it just helps like add to the scares and the gore. And and it's not to say that, like, I think that this movie is scary, but it's just like that, those moments kind of took away from me and made it harder to like not laugh when things were happening. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. one of my gripes about exactly what you said is if you're, if the tentacle is going to disappear, there is no point of the tentacle disappearing if people don't, try and go back there and it's not there anymore. Mm. I, yeah. I, like the, the tentacle disappearing only matters if someone's like, let me see. And it's not there. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like to me, right. it was like, it kind That's of what like I thought was going to happen. Cause I Same. forgot Same. what happened originally, but the fact that they was still there and then it was like, well, and then, and then they're just like, that's weird. But like, it doesn't matter at that point because they saw it and like verified that some part of what he said is truth. But yeah, but then you never see the tentacles ever again. Then we've moved on to uh, flying bugs. locust bugs, bigger mm-hmm. like pterodactyl things. Um, those ones were okay. The spiders looked wildly fake to me, like the really tiny ones that like burst out of the body. Um, mm. They were also gross because like I don't like spiders, but like they just looked like <laughs> fake spiders. <laughs> So I was like, that's like the thing of nightmares, though. It's like when you go to sleep and have a nightmare, it's that. It's tiny little like millions, millions millions of tiny spiders, spiders, just like like being on top of you. Like that's, and I guess like even though it definitely is all like CGI to the you know nth degree, it's still just like so unsettling. Yeah, that that's all those tiny little creepy crawlies. Again, a practical effect that I think sells that scene is the right before that the body that we learn has is like a cocoon to all the spiders. Seeing it starting to convulse and move, you're like, oh, yeah. something disgusting is about to come out of this person, and like I like get away. Um, like you're yeah. like cowering in fear, but then I was like, oh, but the spiders look silly. But I was like, I'm still grossed out in general by like this whole scene of stuff that's happening. I did like, yeah. even if I, I don't even know what those other, they weren't, 
were they spider? There were like then bigger insects crawling on the ground that were spitting the like venomous. Um, oh yeah, like oh, there big were boy spiders, spiders too. Yeah, big I guess they spiders. were spiders. The venom stuff I thought was really cool too. Yeah, um, mm. and like watching them all. <laughs> Like evade like laser things. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really like that part. Um and then I didn't like the the big boy at the end, like the giant creature. I just was mm. like I kind of was like at that point, like, what's the point of I feel like just that kill was yourselves a, already. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well that for me that was a problem of you you're showing me too much. I wish that I just mm. I wish it was even bigger. I wish it was just legs. I wish they didn't show like the whole creature with like it has legs, it has tentacles, it has like whatever, whatever. it's like there's too much going on. I like mm. the less is more approach. Just show me big ass legs and nothing else. And like not even like the mist is so big you can't even see the whole body. You just see big legs. Like that's terrifying yeah. to me. I, I we think don't need no, sorry. More. I think you said big ass legs. <laughs> big ass. Just give me big ass big legs. legs. No, I want big ass and big legs, and that's <laughs> both. Got it. And then okay. yeah, um, but yeah. So I had I had like mixed mixed feelings on like the creatures and and the CGI of it all. Um, but uh, but yeah, sometimes it was effective and sometimes it wasn't. I think like yeah. kind of seeing things in the mist again like was helpful because if you didn't see the whole thing, I, I like that more where it's like still mysterious and you can't like get the full picture of it. Um, but yeah. The CGI, it, the CGI is very 2007. And, and that oh, yeah. era of, of movies, there was a lot of like – look at this shiny new toy we have. And like, mm. they didn't like stop huh. to think that, you know, in a matter of just a few years, that toy is not going to be very shiny at all. It's going to so be, you know, here's, dated. here's my yeah. pitch. Here's my pitch for CGI <laughs> to movie studios. I know that all the main movie studios listen to this podcast. So here's my <laughs> pitch for all of them. My <laughs> pitch for all of the main major studios is you put a section of your budget towards better cgi in a couple of years you re-release movies with better cgi however if your movie doesn't do well and no one gives a fuck about it then you roll that over to another movie so like the mist this movie may actually be more effective if they if they just like cleaned up the cgi like and and made it a little bit more a little bit better and i'm not talking about like snyder cutting it where like you're just like recutting the movie. Mm -hmm. i'm talking about literally just like cleaning up the cgi the 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 all of that stuff that's my pitch to movie studios is that feasible no probably not is it is it, <laughs> is it worth even talking about no but like I think there's something there. All you studios heads, they are listening agree. to talking horror. You know, I I think this is what you should do. Somewhere George <laughs> Lucas just sat up in his bed like, oh, they, exactly. they want me again. They need like, George Lucas and Spielberg are just like, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> right. Get the walkie-talkies. Get the walkie-talkies. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh, my yeah, God. Like, yeah. <clears throat> anyway, yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I – uh, I'm not going to go on a tangent of what I just Googled about CGI in, in 2007. But um, uh -oh. <laughs> yeah, I think – so I think this movie is scary. I have some problems with the characters. Um, again, I really hate that conversation after the Shermanator has been taken away and they're just like, no, you should have really explained what you meant. Like 
I just, there's a lot of miscommunications that happen. And like, yes, some of that is grounded in reality where like there's a crisis and people aren't really able to communicate effectively. But I think there's other things where like when they don't yet know quite what's going on, there is still time to be able to like talk effectively. And I just don't always feel like people are using critical thinking skills in, in this situation. And again, sometimes when a crisis is happening, it is a lot harder to like access that part of your brain because you are in shock and overwhelmed. But like, there are definitely moments where people are not yet at that point and they're just refusing to kind of like consider all possibilities. And, and I think that also gets into the problem of like, you know, nowadays when people in movies are like, I think it's zombies. You have that like conversation where it's like zombies aren't real. And it's like, I hate that. Exactly. It's annoying. So, so it's like, (laughs) what is the balance between like suspending your disbelief in something when someone is like, like coming to you and being like, this is what I saw. You can take it or leave it. But like, obviously there is an emergency. So like, let's react as if this is an emergency versus just dismissing Mm -hmm. it outright and being like, Oh, yes. you're a dummy trying to get one over on me, which happens both with the with the like hick townies and happens with the smart lawyer from New York. It's like both sides yes. are like, we don't want to believe you. So it's clear that it doesn't matter what level of education you have. It's just about like people refusing to like, I don't know, like want to listen to people or like use those critical thinking skills or connect with other people on like a human, like, is it a lack, is it a lack of empathy and compassion that is causing these miscommunications? I don't know, but I find it very frustrating in movies. So that's like, that's what that makes me think of when it comes to this situation. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I just think that that is a meta problem with movies. The more a type of movie becomes saturated, like let's take zombies, for example, the more that that type of genre gets saturated, the more you're used to the exposition. And the more the first third of the movie is something you've seen before, where it's like, there are zombies. No, there aren't. Like, you have to be, the more that there is something of a genre, the more clever you have to be in your screenwriting to not bore the audience with something that you've seen before. I think one of the best, this is going to sound wild, but I think one of the best, I think Zombieland does it really well. I knew you were going to go there, yeah. Um, I also I also think that Civil War um, from the MCU introduces Spider-Man because we're all just sick of Uncle Ben at that point. So we didn't have to relive Uncle Ben. We just got Spider-Man like you you were able mm-hmm. to incorporate. I mean, I know that's different because you're like that's like a backdoor pilot, if you will. Um, but like Zombieland's a good one. Um, I, there are some other. Uh, honestly, Walking Dead is a good one because he wakes up from the coma and you don't have to go to like, Oh no, what's happening? Like he's figuring out because yeah, Yeah. we're through that. But like, we know that that Mm. exists in, in real time. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's it's handled handled really well in uh, Danny Boyle's uh, Twenty Eight Days Later too. I don't know mm-hmm. if there's sure. Mm-hmm. Where That's a good we get one. Get the crisis mm-hmm. in the very beginning on a small stature, and then we just get Cillian Murphy waking up um, and like, where did London go? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, and I get I mean, that I there's. Oh, sorry, Nikisha, you go. No, no, no. I was just gonna say the same could be said about like slasher movies when everyone is yeah. like. Oh, what's happening? Blah blah blah, and then you have you have like someone not believing, and then that person yeah. getting killed, and then everyone believes the thing, and then now we're <clears> trying <throat> to run away from what's happening. Like 
that, that kind of mentality, but sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, I understand that like part of, part of what I think, what I imagine people like about the mist is like the mysterious element of it. And so like you have, I feel like for me, there's less of a balance, but maybe for other people there is the balance between like nobody really knows what's going on. It is like, it's super unknown and uncertain. And so you're going to have the people who are really resistant to believing like, you know, whatever things people are throwing out there. But I just, the, one of my biggest movie gripes is just miscommunications. And so I, I have a harder time when it's like, we could be talking through this a little bit more effectively, but it just doesn't seem like these characters are willing to, or like they're just not allowed to for whatever reason. And, and so like, this is why this is happening. And it just, it bothers me. Cause it's like, there's so many things that then feel like they're escalating when, if we just like slow down and, and take a beat, we could probably figure this out in an effective conversation. But like, so that's, that's my own gripe that I like continue to find in movies that I feel like that's, probably why this movie really frustrates me is there's just a lot of miscommunications that continue to spiral and like blow up and get more out of control. Noted. So Jamie, whenever there is a zombie apocalypse, I will come to you and say, Jamie, there's an emergency. Come with me as opposed to just trying to explain zombies and then you'll come with me and we'll be safe. (laughs) And I'm just going to start turning the lights on and off in the background. (laughs) (laughs) Nikisha, if you told, no, we've already decided collectively as a podcast, if one of us is possessed, we immediately believe it. No questions asked. You don't have to prove anything to me. You said Mm -mm. the P word. I'm in, like, let's get the holy water. And I'm calling the exorcist (laughs) right now. And chapstick. All possessed people in movies have chapped lips, and we need to make sure that you you get your your chapstick. Your chapstick. Your chapstick and your holy water. I'm in. Because we have to document it. So you need to look good in the in the documentary. So we will get your your Um, yeah, I'm done. All right, I'll go through mine okay. very quickly. Um, <laughs> I think that the opening is really wonderful, like you all said, but something that we hadn't talked about yet is that the mu- the music at the beginning of the movie is this old-timey jazz that is trying to kind of set up this Norman Rockwell vibes, and I think that sets you in a very mm-hmm. interesting place because, you know, Maine, this, like, beautiful vacation land, like, everything is great, like, families are wonderful, every- like, and, 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 and you even start with this family unit um, who, like, seems very much in love like you know you can imagine their thanksgivings like i i i think that was super super cool um i also <clears throat> like the title card i like the family looking out the window at the mist and the mist mm. like the, the, i think um i think horror movies better than any genre nail title cards yeah um <clears throat> uh, the new york plates i mentioned payphone i haven't seen one of those in a while um <laughs> uh I think that this movie, I'm, I'm in a lot of places, specifically the Carol moment at the beginning where she's looking for her kids, it allows for questions to ask unreason, excuse me, it allows for characters to ask unreasonable questions when she's saying like, will you come with me? Will you come with me? Like th- that was not fair of her to ask, but it was no. super believable and justifiable yeah. for her right. in that moment. So like, yeah. I think that this movie more than doesn't, does a great job of like trying to see what would this type of person do in this moment? Like, and I don't think it works all the time. Like I think sometimes it, it, it characters are in a place, both the way they're presented to us and mentally to talk something out a little bit more than not. Um, 
But in that scenario, I thought that was really well done and kind of set our expectations for, you know, who some of these people are and, and, and all of that. Um, I also think that the gore in the back room of Shermanator was great. I did not know that dog food would be such a big side character in this film. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the tentacles the rip open the dog food. They use the dog food against the windows. There's a lot of dog food in this movie. Um <laughs> I wrote Carol's always crying about her kids. Um, uh, I think this movie, we'll talk about the ending. I think this movie does a good job of foreshadowing the ending in general. Um, the idea of that the religion, they want to like sacrifice the boy. He makes the promise to his dad. Um, the, you know, um, the, I counted bullets this time mm-hmm. just to make sure that everything was accurate. Um, Cause you know, that's what you do. Um, yeah, they literally, yes. they literally give you Chekhov's gun there in the front. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. We're and they count it down like like he literally says like we only have 10 bullets left like it felt <laughs> like I, I i liked that um i needed Wait, like a bullet Brian, counter yeah sorry to your point though did they just have another gun because like after did they fully use the 10 bullets and then like when they shoot the church lady i was like where did the bu- i thought you were out of bullets no like, what 10 happened? rounds left he fired four or five in the um, in the pharmacy, then with the in, spiders, with the, okay. yeah, and then I forget at some at some point he says I have ten rounds left. I think it's in the pharmacy. Then he uses yes. all, them in the pharmacy. He uses them a couple of times to kill the pterodactyl. Then he uses two rounds to or two bullets to kill her. Um, he may use it outside again, and then he drops it on the car. So okay. I think it ends up working out. I did lose track, but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna that seems like something Frankie Boy would uh, would count and make sure that he did. <laughs> accurately um um, i love how much they say the mist in this movie i just the another jamie and i always will look at each other during a movie when like they say the title um like be like like, and oh has anyone been to have you seen the mist like (laughs) this movie does it so they they stop saying the mist in the second half but in the first half they say so much and i fucking love it um uh I really liked the little moments in this movie, like and even like when um, when Amanda is going to stomp on the creature and she slips a little bit, like little stuff like that makes the CGI b- more believable. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought I thought that some of that stuff was really good. Um, uh, some really great scary moments. I think the rope is one of my favorite moments in this whole movie, as we talked mm-hmm. about. I like the chaos of the lights on and off with the bugs. The bug design is fucking insane. Um, Oh, I thought that Darabont's use of cameras in this is in, in, impeccable, specifically um, when they're going to the pharmacy and they're literally going in and out of the mist. And he lingers on them disappearing and then mm-hmm. appearing again somewhere else. I, I thought yeah. that was really effective, um, especially because that's the first time our main characters go out there. And and I think that that was a really, really effective uh, camera work. Um, Jamie, shh, a lot at the screen when people were screaming and inappropriate times, specifically, <laughs> specifically when he's trying to grab the gun on the hood and they're all screaming, like, don't do it. It's like, if you would shut the fuck up, there would be no <laughs> You'll be problem. able to get it. There would yes. be no problem uh-huh. here. Like, do we not learn anything in the hour and a half? Do we exactly. not learn that that when when characters don't learn things they should have learned, like because there are clear situations. I know I'm going into gripe territory, but like I, I what I loved about it was Jamie was shushing them. Um, yes. They would have. They they were right though because they would have lived if they didn't get the gun. 
Absolutely. And my my and actually, uh, Kieran, spectacular segue. My final thing is the little decisions, the little decision that like to grab the gun, the decision to shoot her twice. All of these little decisions kind of lead to the end of the movie. And mm. I think that narratively or plot. Po- oh, another thumbs up. I don't know why that happened. Um, I think that um, it works from a plot point perspective, but we'll talk narratively in general. Um, gripes, CGI, we talked about that. These characters are stereotypical in places. We talked about that. Um, lots of defensive comments without context. We talked about that. Lots of over-explaining people's motives. It doesn't mm. leave much to the audience in terms of like the, 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 um, uh, they kind of tell you what's going to happen, which is interesting in one way where like, this is what's going to happen with the religion. People are going to end up moving there the more that we can't get out. And so we're preparing for that. I would personally, I would have liked a little bit to be left to like the audience seeing how all these pieces are moving into place. But that's a me pet peeve, not a movie pet peeve. I would say, um, Mm. Um, I don't like to be explained a lot of things. I like to figure it out on my own, but like that is a, that is 100% of me, a me thing. Um, uh, <clears throat> I think that, um, I, I agree with Jamie about Marsha Gay Harden in some respects. Um, the lovers, the young lovers happens way too late into the movie for us mm. to care about their story. Uh, honestly, oh, yeah. that you either do that first when, and during the exposition um, you had you, it feels like a scene was cut earlier and they reshot that scene between them in the back room. Anyway, that whole storyline was a little bit too like love actually, like this is their storyline and this is their yeah. storyline. And so I, I could have dealt without that, without the emotional impact. Her just being bit and swelling up was totally enough. Um there. <clears throat> um I oh, every time they said Billy, I thought of uh the the uh, the um, cable guy. Oh, Billy! I don't know why. And then it had it had very like Carl vibes from uh, Walking Dead. Um, I don't know. I, yeah, I never felt fully satisfied from this rewatch, and I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Um, we could talk about that. I, it may just be the the nitpicks that Kieran was talking about. I think I had trouble leaving them behind this time. I, I wish I'd watch it in the, the black and white. Mm. I think that would have changed my watch through on this one. And when I'm ready to watch this again, I'm definitely going to do that. Um, uh, and um, the pacing post monster attack, like pterodactyl scene before they go to the pharmacy is really slow. I think they, I think Darabont slows it down a little bit too much because half of the movie is still left. And I, I mm-hmm. it, that, that the, those couple of moments, even though the conversations were interesting, I, I don't mm. know what it was, but the, the, it felt too slowed down um, for me. This again, this is, this is only, only me. I, I did not like the fade to black passing time trend. Oh yeah, that was super weird. <clears throat> I think I think I think there's something more clever and interesting to do there that felt very uh, melodramatic, and I don't that didn't work for me. Um, mm. I thought that once they started about talking about religion versus science and the abortion and stuff like that, that's when they put. That's when there were too many hats in the ring. Um, that's mm-hmm. when the movie started to go a different direction that I, I didn't mind them passing Sam Witwer around and stabbing him and bring like, that's fine. That's mob mentality. But the second that you really start talking about abortion and all of that, I feel like you're ripping open something else that this movie clearly wanted to say, but narratively then just puts too many ideas into the pot in my personal opinion. Um, Mm. um, 
there would have been way more blood in the car at the end. Uh, with that <laughs> that short range, like like there would have been like honestly, like the movie's called The Mist because there's only a misting of blood in the car at the end. It should have been a deluge <laughs> of it. Um, uh, and then my my and then and then to be totally honest, I I don't think that Thomas Jane sells the moment at the end as an actor. Um, mm. I I it he's he's doing this this physical thing but to me there's no emotion behind it it's a very to me it comes off as i'm a i'm screaming this is sad but like there's something that to me doesn't connect to the fact that he just murdered these people and he just found out that like he's gonna something isn't work doesn't work for me there uh the moment is effective but his acting isn't as effective as i thought it would as i remembered it um Mm. And uh, this isn't Maine because Maine has vanity plates, all the plays, and there are no vanity plates in this movie. If you go to Maine, it's like 60 bucks the DMV to do a vanity plate. Everyone has Every a vanity car. plate in Maine. Oh, my it's God. It's crazy. Yeah, and there truly. there are no vanity plates in this. Um, and then my biggest, like, interest, I don't know if this is a pet peeve or a gripe. I don't know. This, this time, watching this movie, knowing The Walking Dead, felt like watching Wes Craven's new nightmare, knowing that Scream exists. This feels like Ooh. a test run for what he did better in season one of The Walking Dead, in my personal opinion. So I see that. That's not fair. That's not fair because this is a standalone and that's a standalone. But he's doing very similar things with relationships in a world in which you don't really know what the end is going to be like. And I think that this was kind of him like figuring it out. He probably, I, I don't know the, the history of it. He probably got that job based on the fact that he was able to manage all of these interesting themes together and all of that. Um, but that's kind of what it feels like a little bit on this rewatch to me. But um, a weird connection my, to your, a weird <clears throat> connection to your analogy there. Sorry to interrupt. Is yeah, no, Frank, oh. da- Frank Darabont wrote dream warriors. Um, yes. Yo, I, yes. Yeah, yes. I saw that. Yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> that's, right. that's right. Yes. Um, that's so interesting. Um, wow. But um, I have a question for the group before we get into mm brains. Is this movie forgettable without the ending? Hmm. Does that's the ending of this movie elevate this to a different level? than it would if they did drive off or if it wasn't as, you know, devastating as an ending? I think the answer is yes. Uh, but I, I think that being a Stephen King property keeps it alive in the lexicon a little bit. So I don't think you'd go completely forgotten. Sure. But this is remembered for that big swing ending, which is kind of what my point before, whether I like the ending or not, I appreciate the swing and it connects, it connects in the history of, of, um, of horror because of it. Yeah, I agree. It it definitely bumped up my ratings on the shakes because of the sure. because of the ending. Because I will never forget that. Yeah, yeah, I I agree too. Even thinking about like other other things that stand out more contemporary, like regarding mob mentality stuff. Like you referenced the new Halloween, and like that's something that I think stays in my brain because of like similar stuff but i don't know if if just that part would have stayed in my brain as opposed to like spoilers for halloween too that like then michael myers comes and like destroys the mob so like that that's why that movie i remember that so it's like maybe it is mm-hmm. about the ending that like makes it more meaningful because like mob mentality is is a theme in a lot of different things but does it have the same staying power i don't know 
So my second question for the group is, and, and I might be botching this question, so just take it for what you see the question as. Does this ending undercut what this movie is trying to say? Um, do, is this, does the ending make sense for what these characters have gone through? Um, and maybe more importantly, um, does does what is this movie trying to say with the ending? Like, is is it trying to say, like, be patient? Is it trying to say that, like, there is no God, there is no not God, there are only choices that you make? Like, what to you, what is this movie actually trying to say um, with these characters? Because Stephen, King's a, Stephen King is known to end his most high percent of his stuff with hope. Um, and, 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 and they changed this to not be about that. Like, what does the ending mean to you? And what do you think it's trying to say? And does it undercut what the movie is trying to do? That's a great question. I I'll speak just from the most layman of terms and not from an intellectual standpoint at all. The ending for me just felt like, um, like Kieran was saying, just like a swing, just to shock the audience. (laughs) Like, I don't think that it really undercut what was happening before. I feel like it didn't make sense, like we had already mentioned with them not trying to look for a gas station or whatever, you know, whatever. But I don't think that it undercut anything that happened before it. I just think it's like, oh, shit, this is the decision that we're making? Okay, because at the end of the day, like, it is a decision that some people would make. And even in The Walking Dead, like, there's a lot of that theme of people already taking their own lives because they didn't want to be, you know, like, eaten by the walkers or whatever, you know. So, like, even though it might not have been the best decision or they didn't run the gambit of other decisions before they went to suicide, it's still a decision that I think is, uh, um, as a people, like, somebody would make that choice. So, um I don't think it undercut anything that happened in the movie. And I think it's just like a a big shock factor to just say like, uh, not to say anything, but as to give you something to remember aside from, you know, just the monsters and a mist. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think there is plenty of, of hope laced into this or how the person perceives hope as they're going through, um, this sort of apocalyptic, uh, conflict. And it is a very biblical type of ending. You know, you have like the Abraham, sure. Isaac end of it. You have the Job end of it. You've had every, everything taken away, your, your family, mm-hmm. your house. Your, um, so it is a complicated task to tack an ending on a property that doesn't have one um, because the ending of the novella really wouldn't work on the screen. Um, they just drive off and that's that. Everyone be like, well, where's the third act of this movie? You know, mm-hmm. so, um, mm-hmm. so he was faced with a little bit of a, having to construct something and then tie it into the themes of what, what was working there. Um, I think when you put it in context of his first film, Shawshank Redemption, where you have someone in a, thrust into an impossible um, endless situation that they literally have to crawl their way out of and they do so by clinging on to hope, where this is someone in in the same sort of situation who neglects to have any hope, or, or really neglects to have any planning um, for a, for a hope filled world. Uh, he's given up on the military. He's given up on the idea of this because they've driven around and, and whatnot. So I think that there's some commentary there on how the individual person handles um, their 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 being faced with mortality. 
if you want to take it to the Andre Brower saying, no, we're going to get out of here and go. We're going to take the person doing the pills, the person who can't um, take the guilt of, um, of uh, the military so they hang themselves. You have the, the woman who's saying, I'm finding my kids. No one's stopping me. Is anyone coming? No. Okay, I'm going. And she makes it in the end. Um, I think yeah. the cut of her in the end is, is important too. So I, yeah. I don't know that he's saying one specific thing as much as he's raising questions throughout the, the picture and throughout the concept of it, which I tend to, to respond a little better to anyway, rather than this movie is specifically about this. And this is what Frank Darabont thinks about this. You know, I'd say mm -hmm. it's more, For sure. this is Frank Darabont asking some questions and how do you react? Who would you be in the scenario? You know, would you be Thomas Jane rallying a crew together? Would you be a Toby who's, you know, going to kind of be the, the, um, the main soldier to help out a Thomas Jane? Are you going to be a Carmundi and raise chaos um, mm -hmm. I hope not. Uh, are you going to, you know, are you just going to say I'm out of here? You know, who, who knows? So th that's what, what I like about the ensemble nature of not just the cast and the performances, but of the, of the story itself. Sure. Yeah. Maybe. I think I agree with that because like there, the, because there doesn't seem to be like one right way that anybody has like made the decision maybe with the exception of like I need to leave to find my kids and like it works out but like there's no way to have known that that was going to work out for her and right. like right. we don't know how she ended up like finding her kids and the military and being safe so I feel like it's more just like kind of picking your brain around like you know, how might you navigate a crisis? There isn't necessarily like one singular best response in, in like dealing with this situation, but dealing with trauma and dealing with like, you know, shock. And I think like, yes, we're seeing a lot of like the worst of humanity, but so much of like the protagonist is fighting against that and then making this decision with a smaller group of people of like, no, we're going to, we're going to leave the bad group of people because like we can't be associated with them anymore, but they're not better off either. But I don't think that it's necessarily a message of hopelessness. I think it's more of just like, you know, the, the uncertainty and the unknown, which I think gives a lot of anxiety for people like myself in particular, but I don't think that that's necessarily like to be equated with hopelessness. I think it's just like, you know, there are chances that you can take. Sometimes they might pay off. Sometimes they might not. And like, we ultimately don't know. And like here, here we're presenting just like a variety of how different people respond in a crisis situation. And like, it works for some, it doesn't work for others, but like there isn't necessarily one right or wrong way to navigate it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that obviously because our main characters make this decision, it feels like a bigger thing. But like people make choices and whether Carol left first be and, and the mist wasn't fully formed yet and she got home, like like there are just different things. This movie's saying a lot of things and I totally agree with you. Something we haven't touched on at all and I don't think we should probably get into this at this point, but I do want to bring it up is that this came out in 2007. Um you know, this is in the middle of Bush's second term. Um, mm. And then, you know, so you think this is reflective of like a lot of what was happening just from a from like a, a Republicans, Democrats, you know, mm. conservative, liberal, like like you could see yourself kind of in this. 
things are so much depending on how you look at the world things are so much worse and more divided more 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 on each side of the spectrum like now this almost doesn't feel as bad as it maybe felt then i don't Mm -hmm. but or maybe it's just like a microcosm of that i don't know the answer to that but i think it's important to note the context of when this came out and how effective everything happening in that grocery store was on a micro level versus the macro level of like what the u.s was potentially feeling with an election coming up um and and that's my favorite thing about horror movies the like no question my number one favorite thing about horror movies is how it in a genre of film can reflect society without making us completely feel like it is us watching us you take these mm extraneous circumstances whether it's invasion of the body snatchers like for the cold war or whether it's you know something a little bit more on the nose like get out you know or whether it's something like um um what did we just watch uh um i mean there's obviously a million arrival arrival more sci-fi but aliens and like about communication and how like if our communication breaks down, the world breaks down. Like there's so much within genre film that I love. And I think this does an amazing job based on when it came out and it's still effective now because we haven't fixed things. Yeah. I I think that's where this movie's aged like a fine wine for me because I couldn't help thinking about what everyone, what the world went through in 2020 and everybody's reaction to that and how different, the perceptions of what was going on changed from month to month when we learned more, yeah. you know, you, you can't do this. You have to, I don't believe in this. I believe in that. And, and there was a lot of people not being on the same page um, until we learned more. So to me, that was one of the things that struck me watching this, this time around um, and, and made something this kind of apocalyptic or however you want to describe what's going on in this movie kind of ta- scarily tangible because of what we experienced yeah. in, in 2020. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in conclusion, fix the CGI so this thing holds up 100%, you know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> or watch it in black and white. Watch it in black and white. Watch it yeah, in black yes. and white. There's your answer. Yeah, Two yeah, choices. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. Well, let's uh, segue then into our next section, mm, brains. Mm, tasty. Tasty. <laughs> Jamie, I have a question for you, and we've kind of touched on this uh, a little bit, but if you can kind of elaborate on it. So we've talked about mob mentality, uh, especially with the Halloween movies, um, but let's revisit it via this movie. So my question to you is, do you think that in 2024, mob mentality would be just as effective? And I ask that because with the addition of technology and social media and people trying to brand themselves as individuals or um, not being put in a certain spot, um, especially since we were talking political things now, like Democrat or Republican, like people are like even stepping away from both of those terms. Um, So my question to you is, do you think that if something of the like in this movie were to happen now, like would the mob mentality look similar? I mean, I, I think that there is something to like groups coming together and like the, the uh, like when, when there are multiple people together that like people kind of fall back on that and like do lose some of their, individuality and thinking like I think like there's a lot of like psychology and research in like groupthink and and things like that where like I I think that you know just the nature of humans like 
there is, there is still risk of that. Um, I think like there are actively things that are happening where we're seeing that like in real time in 2024. Mm -hmm. So like, I think that it will likely continue to be a thing and maybe like, maybe it looks differently with advancements in technology and like how people are coming together. But like, I think that's a really interesting point too. Even if you're not physically surrounded by a group of people, um, are people using social media to then like connect with a group? And then they're also like, prioritizing the group's ideals and values over their own ability to like think critically about what they personally believe and like that is superseding it. So I, I think that like, Mm. you know, in some ways social media is yes, helpful in allowing people to connect with others, but also harmful in like the ways that then they can be sucked into some of some groups that like maybe are like perpetuating harm or like aren't necessarily grounded in the same reality that we might believe in, or like they just might, you know, prioritize some of what's coming out of those groups as opposed to thinking independently for themselves. So like, I I imagine this will continue to be a theme like in media for sure. I don't see this stopping Mm. um, because I think that like it, it, you know, it, it's continuing to happen. Uh, along those lines, so do you think that connection to human beings is something that is um, natural, like a primitive thing, like we are all built to be connecting with other people? So I guess my other, the other way of seeing it is like, if you don't have the influences of people on social media, like would you still be connecting with others in, in a, in a different way, I guess? I mean, of course we know life without social media. Right. But like, I guess as far as mob mentality, like is connection just such a part of us that no matter what, we will always be seeking like other, other people in situations, even in emergency situations, non-emergency situations, you know? Yeah. I think that connection is part of the human experience. I think that's, I mean, I think it's something that really helps like our mental health is feeling connected back to like the larger humanity. I think when we feel Mm. isolated, it like it, it worsens how we are feeling. And like when we're already feeling shitty, we, we already feel isolated because we feel like we're the only ones who are going through this or experiencing this. And so like Mm -hmm. bringing it back to the collective humanity can be really helpful in like normalizing your experience and being like, I'm not the only one who's like ever felt that. Like I love as a, doing like self-compassion work, bringing it back to the collective humanity is really, really helpful because if you're like Mm. super self-critical, you are separating yourself from everyone else. You're like, I'm the worst person ever. I'm a failure. Like I am garbage. And when you challenge that idea of like, okay, what, like, why are you thinking that about yourself? What, what like error or mistake did you make that has led you to believe that like you are a failure? And if you really ask yourself, am I the only person in the history of time to have ever made this particular mistake? I'm going to go out on the limb and say hundred percent of the time. The answer is like, no, I'm not the only person who's ever made this mistake. Other people have done Mm. this. I'm not alone. And like that really helped that connection back to people is real. And that's just like doing it in our own heads, but then like actually connecting with social supports is so important for our mental health. I think the, like on the flip side you know, looking at like mob mentality, I think 
context is really key. And a lot of it, and I think some of this can also even go for like, we talked very briefly about cults, I think a few times, like, I think there's some overlap of like, what makes people susceptible to cults and like, what, like what goes on, what's going on, like psychologically that, you know, would potentially influence someone. And I think that there Mm -hmm. is this like, loss of identity and self-awareness that like, that's like an overlap that I see with like the, the group thinker mob mentality and like cults as well is like you lose yourself. And, and so you're like more likely to go along with the group or like whoever the, the person that seemingly has like the power that is compelling to follow. So, um, so yeah, I think context is really important in like where connection can be helpful versus like maybe you're connecting with people that like don't have your best interests at heart. For sure. That's great. Uh, well, I know Kieran had a question for you, Jamie. So uh, Kieran, if you would like to ask Jamie. Sure. Yeah. There's so one, one kind of dynamic of this movie that we didn't do a ton of talking about yet, but um, you have, you have Thomas Jane and his son basically thrust away from the, the, the wife, wife and mother of, of Billy there and put into this situation where oh, they're trapped. Billy. <laughs> cool. Every time. Uh, you know, mom's at home. I want my mom right now. I want my mom. And dad Always. can't, can't get it. Can't, I want my wife too. I, I can't get it to there. What is, you just wondering if you could be a little insight on the dynamic there of um, father, son and, and mom not being in the picture there, what that does on a, the strain on a seven, eight year old, in that situation. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, I, I didn't like talk about it in like my gripes, but I do find it sort of frustrating how often, um, Thomas Jane's character is like leaving his kid with other people. And like, Mm. I get it that he kind of is assuming this like leadership role and is like trying to make moves and trying to like, you know, figure out the best way to respond. But I find it very strange that he is leaving his child, who's like very clearly upset and very sure. much wants to be by his dad's side and is like looking mm-hmm. for that support. And he's like, hey, lady, I just met. Can you just like hang tight to my kid? <laughs> and then like I got so pissed when that's – there's a moment where I think I said and Brian can confirm that I was like, you know what? Billy deserves to get eaten by that pterodactyl right now because like <laughs> him just like going off being like, dad, dad. And it's like the lady's like, police, police. And I'm like, Jesus <laughs> oh, <yes>. Christ, Billy. <laughs> Carl. Um, <laughs> very much that moment, yeah. Um, Billy, Billy, dad needs to go to the pharmacy right now, all right? Yeah. Deal with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Calm down. Um, But like, uh, you know, it's interesting from like a psychological perspective of, or like child development, how, how children learn how to like put trust in adults and authority figures. And like that, that usually starts from like parents and guardians and like, you know, uh, there's, there's all like, everyone has their theory of child development. Eric Erickson is one of them. He has eight stages of child development. The first one is called trust versus mistrust. And it's like literally about how infants and newborns learn to, like they have no choice. So they have to rely on a caregiver to take care of them. And the idea behind like these uh, different stages of child development is like we can get stuck in them if like something goes wrong um, and like that Mm. can impact our, our development essentially. Um, So it's interesting. This is like, I mean, in terms of Eric Erickson, like this, this kid who I assume is like what, like 
seven. I know eight? the actor's nine, but okay. You know, so like around that age, like he's he's old. He's older than like that that developmental stage is like appropriate for. But it that's what I was thinking about of like how can you trust? Like I would be so upset because you're trying to rely on like the only like figure that's supposed to be supporting you. And then he just keeps bailing on him. And, yeah. and I feel like the, the psychological. I want my mom too. In, yeah. I would like, you're not freaking here. So like, yeah, I want my mom. Like you're useless right now, dad. Like <laughs> just the idea that like the person who's supposed to be protecting him kind of is, but also is making a lot of decisions where like he is putting himself at risk unnecessarily in so many ways. And, and I, like, I don't think that his child has the ability to like understand that, but I, I imagine that it is terrifying when you're constantly seeking out that, that person for you and they just keep leaving. Like, I think that that would make it really hard for him to trust people because it's like, I put my trust in this person and then they left me. And like, that's devastating. And that's going to have like a, a lifelong impact on him. However, he frames it of like, my dad sacrificed himself so that I would survive. Or like my dad abandoned me in a moment of crisis. And like, I'll mm. never forgive him, whatever it is. But I like, I, I definitely think that if they had, if, if the ending of this movie maybe happened in a different way, I just feel like that kid would be so traumatized by his dad being really inconsistent in like protecting him that like they would have to work through that in some kind of family therapy. <laughs> well, his dad's well, got all sorry, the freedom in the world to be Captain America now. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yikes. <laughs> oh boy. It's also, I also, I know that Stephen King wrote it because like he's an artist. He was trying to, I'm sure he experienced a lot of like, even though you're a Mainer, like, you're, you don't represent Maine because you're more of an educated person. Like, I get that, like, writing what you know. But I also think it's interesting this character is an artist and he's stepping up to be a hero um, when that's not the stereotypical part an artist plays in movies like this. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I think that's interesting that, like, he's getting involved. I mean, yes, you know, artists can, like, can be wanting to be involved and egotistical and thinking they're the hero or whatever the case may be. But, like, it's not like he was, like, a local fire. And like he's the person they look to. It's a very interesting dynamic that you don't see a lot in movies with that being the the uh, career path of the hero, if you will. That's not like stepping out of their comfort zone to be the hero. Yeah. So you're telling me I can be a superhero, Brian? Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I would have told you that before I saw The Mist. Hi, thanks. <laughs> All right, should we wrap it up? Because I, well, I know. Karen, did we, you have we... one more for Nikisha? Oh yes, oh, yeah. from from an actress standpoint, you know, we have a a, yes. a, a wide ensemble cast here, um, and mm -hmm. not you know your typical ensemble cast where you have like your six stories developed and then the actors play up there. There's a lot of like little minor roles in here that the actors through their performances kind of can make a little more major with how they deliver the line to the impact they leave. You know, if you're an actress going into a role like this where there's a large ensemble cast in kind of a small space and you get a little time to run, what's your mentality going into that, that type of role? Yeah, I think like with any role, making sure that 
I know my individual backstory. So then whatever the ensemble is presenting to me, I can react via what my background is, which I think is probably why Carol in this is so memorable, uh, aside from always just trying to find her kids. It's just because it felt like she knew what her backstory was and what her drive was, what her I want, if you will. Uh, was, you know, and she stuck with that. And you could see that through the desperation of her asking people to help her, like Brian had mentioned, like, um, even though it's a crazy question to ask, like she still was asking and it was believable that she was asking that because of her desperation. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think really honing in on uh, who you, who your character is and what their I want is. um, And then Whatever it is. So then whatever interaction that you do have with people, like how you say your lines is a reflection uh, of that. So I think that's how um, I would approach just being in an ensemble role as opposed to like being the hero and knowing what my role is as far as being like a a principal among uh, other ensembles. It's like, no, we're all equal here and we all have equal wants and we all take those equal wants seriously as if we were the main character, right? So our desperation and our want comes from that. Um, Making sure that we're, uh, you know, keeping uh, the, the truth and the honesty of what our character wants and making it just as important. So everybody's is on the same level, if that makes sense. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Cool. Fantastic. So should we rotten to Martin this? Rotten oh, to Martin. Let's rotten to Martin this bad boy. It's the rotten tomatoes game. <laughs> All right, the mist. What do you think the mist has on rotten tomatoes? What is the percent? Um, Jamie, what's your percent? Uh, 68. All right. Nikisha? Yeah, I was going to say 65. And Kieran? We're doing, we're doing critic or audience here? Critic, critic. Critic, okay. Um, hmm. uh, how, about, uh, how about an even 70? All right. The critic score is a 73%. Wow. Nice. The audience score is a 65%. Okay, yeah, that doesn't surprise Ooh. me. I figured that'd be a little lower. Yeah, a little more split. Yeah. Um, uh, the critic's consensus is Frank Darabont's impressive camera work and politically incisive script make The Mist a truly frightening experience. Fair. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the, the audience and critics was closer than I thought it would be. Sure, mm-hmm. that's fair. My, my yeah. assumption is that the audience score is closer to 50% because of the ending. Yes. Sure. Right. Same. Um, all right. So let's do our letterboxed uh, thoughts. Um, Letterbox does everything uh, to five with decimal points. Um, so what do you think the average user score of um, this is? Uh, Jamie, why don't you go first? Uh, three point. Three. All right, Nikisha. Uh, I was gonna say two point four. <laughs> Whoa! I know. I think the Letterbox might be kinder than Tomatoes because it's a little more in the last couple of year. I, I think that this movie's looked back on a little better than maybe it was received at the time. I'm gonna go like a seven, mm-hmm. um, a three point seven. Hmm. Uh, three point four. Okay. Oh, so nice. what did Jamie? What did Jamie say? Three point three. Oh okay. yeah, nailed it. So close. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, cool. Um, fantastic. Should we do the four S's? Yes. yes. Skull, scare, shakes, and suggestions. The talking horns, four S's. <laughs> All right. The four S's are skulls, scares, shakes, and suggestions. Skulls is how well this movie handles mental health and human behavior. Scares is how scary is this. And then shakes is, you know, is this a one and done? Are you going to remember this one? That's all one through ten. We'll um, stop there, and then uh, we'll reconvene for our suggestions. Um, Jamie, why don't you start us off? What are your skulls, scares, and shakes? Sure. So for skulls, I gave it a six. Um, I, I mentioned that I had like some problems with, you know, people's decision-making and things for some parts of the movie as well as communication. But I do think that like, for the most part, you're seeing accurate representations of people acting in a crisis situation. You're going to get a variety of responses. Not everybody's going to react the same way. And I feel like that makes it more believable. Um, for scares, I'm giving this a four, um, like Conceptually, the idea of it, I think, is really scary. I think that a lot of the practical effects that, you know, come along with the CGI is scary, but the CGI really kind of takes away from some of the scares for me. So it's on the slightly lower end. Mm -hmm. Um, For shakes, I'm giving this a seven, um, mostly for the ending. Uh, I I didn't remember a lot of what happened in this movie, um, but the ending is definitely memorable. And I think now that I've seen it for the second time and hopefully two and done this time, uh, <laughs> I, I will also remember uh, Marsha Gay Harding's character really well in my brain. Sure. Uh, Kieran, you want to go next? Sure. Uh, so, you know, I was, I was a little nervous myself coming into this one because it, it had been a few years since I saw it. And it just... I was nervous that this was going to be the kind of movie that because I know where it's going, everything is like, all right, and now this happens and not. And it was very much the opposite. Like I, I, I thought the ensemble nature of the cast, the different characters, um, kind of putting yourself in the shoes of, of different aspects of this, that, that really helped me. So, um, you know, when it came to the first part, the skulls part, I think had I had, I had to answer this pre-2020 pandemic, I might have had a lower score, but I gave it a seven sure. in this. I thought there were a lot of elements in in society that we've experienced in the last three years that they bring this movie into a new light for me so i give it a nice solid seven there for that there was some character characters and you know stereotypical types of you know biker guy you know and that and that stuff that's so yeah yeah we did because that was the guy whose legs got right we did oh yeah yeah we talked about his legs yeah we talked about it we get biker Ken and soldier Ken and gas yeah, station yeah. Ken. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So at the seven there, um, uh, scares, uh, I went with, um, I went with the, do you do point fives? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Okay. So maybe a six, six point five, seven is where I'm kind of in that, but six point five, there were actually a few things in this that I was like, Ugh. you know, like the bug biting mm-hmm. her on the neck and then her like face oh. growing. I'm like, Oh my yeah. God. Like the the guy getting lit on fire, and it's like all the, mm-hmm. there's a bunch of stuff. The pharmacy seems really creepy, um, you know. So there were some some things here that were, but this isn't like a truly scary like hide under your covers type of movie. So um, mm-hmm. I, I think it's more like dread and like cringe kind of stuff. So I gave it a six point five there, uh, and then you know shakes. I'm going with the I'm going with the ten. 
Uh, I love this movie. I love this property. I love the short story. This stuck with me ever since I I read uh, read the pages of it in the novella. Um, mm-hmm. I actually believe it or not, coincidentally enough, I got this is my last show and tell today. I promise. Um, I uh, was in the used bookstore uh, this week, knowing we're getting this, and sure enough, the first edition. Whoa! Skeleton crew. Wow! Cool. Right there with the monkey on the front. Um, nice. Yeah, crazy. Um, the first edition, wow. right there, in the you know seven bucks. Cool. Very um, cool. Yeah. So it was coincidence there, but um, yeah. So like I said, this one's this is one I'm happy I got the black and white version now. This is something I'll revisit probably again next October. Uh, yeah. Might be a might be a horror season regular for me here. So a good clean ten there as the uh, the guest coming in uh, uh, hyping the hype in the film. There you go. Cool. Uh, Nikisha. Yeah. So skulls. I gave it. A six. Um, I I appreciated the decisions that they were kind of making, um, so I'll leave it at that. Uh, scares. It was a three. Um, there wasn't anything that like jump scare got me, um, but the ending is what really was just like holy mm-hmm. shit. Um, and then shakes. I gave it a seven as well um, because I will definitely just remember this movie truly everything about it from the church lady and her crazy like sermons that she was giving <laughs> to the ending yeah. uh because it was very disturbing so yes um yeah i gave it a seven for for skulls um i think that um i think it's really trying and it's i i, I think it and i think it nails a high percent of it um i take up some points for the end being a big swing without kind of like logistically making sense um for the characters um but the big swing is a big swing enough um for scares i gave it a six not only for like the rope scene and some of the other like types of moments um but any 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 religious mob makes me uncomfortable um (laughs) and and so that that just bumps up from maybe like a four or a three or a four um but i gave that a six and shakes i'm giving this an eight um Mm -hmm. i i think as we discussed the ending really makes this movie pop um i i am excited to watch this in black and white um so that kind of is like i know i'm gonna not 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 right now but i'll eventually (laughs) rewatch this in black and white um i think this will always make a list of like horror endings i think this will always make a list on um like bottle movies one location movies even though it's multiple but you know what i mean i think this will always make the list of like character driven horror movies this movie fits a lot of lists that i would always suggest to people potentially and and the ending and and i i think that the positives from this movie outweigh the 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 nitpicks if that makes sense um absolutely in general um but suggestions i'm gonna i'll start with my suggestions um kieran spoiled one of mine earlier in this podcast um the twilight zone episode the monsters Mm -hmm. are due on maple street um it's just it's it's about i mean i won't spoil it but like this is this is what you would watch alongside this one, 100%. Um, some other movies that I would suggest are the from last year, Brooklyn 45. If you were looking for a really good uh, like bottle mm-hmm. um, movie where people have relationships and they're trying to work things out from you know past stuff, really good stuff. Um, Identity is another good one. Uh, mm-hmm. where you have different characters representing different things, trying to get things done. Um, uh, if you wanted some more creepy monsters within like uh, uh, an area, you go Annihilation. Um, 
And then uh, the ultimate stuck in a place, we're all going crazy, the thing, which yeah. was presented yeah. at the very beginning mm-hmm. of this movie. Yeah. In the in uh, as Kieran mentioned in his two minute summary, the Stephen King Easter egg section of this. Yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, Kieran, you want to go next? Yeah, um, I I to make you feel better, Brian, I spoiled mine as well. Um, oh. <laughs> uh, Danny Boyle's Twenty Eight Days Later would be the first yeah. place I would go. Um, For sure. I, I love an auteur's version of a genre film, and uh, that's what what Danny Boyle brings. And Cillian Murphy, who's become obviously very very famous since then. Uh, uh, puts puts forth a, a really great um a really great lead role and a, another uh, uh oscar nominated actress in that too um from i think moonlight her name's escaping me naomi um, harris yes yes mm. yeah um yeah great actress there too so, so that's a really good one um from a uh you know from a, a, a literary standpoint i would uh recommend a, a short story that definitely influenced uh, this this property too, and that would be Shirley Jackson's The Lottery. If anyone's oh, read yeah. that one out there, a real <laughs> chilling mob mentality, sort of religious mob type of type of thing. So yeah, check out uh, The Lottery too there. And that's a great suggestion. Well, the, they both are, but Twenty Eight Days Later, with the news that they are developing a Twenty Eight Years Later with Danny mm-hmm. Boyle yeah. directing, and Alex Garland is writing it again. So oh, he is. He's super back to again. Yeah, Cillian Murphy, I think, um, is, is back to. Yeah, so I'm 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 very into to all of that. Speaking of Alex Carlin Annihilation. Um but um Nikisha, what are some of yours? I mean, I just have to suggest the seasons of The Walking Dead, specifically <laughs> The Barn, the season mm. when they're all in the barn because Sophia, what a reveal. <laughs> and um the season when they're in the prison because mm. Talk about tough decisions uh, for the greater good. Mm-hmm. That was a hard. That was a hard season to watch. So that's it for me. <laughs> Jamie, yeah, I went with the uh, mysterious creature route. Um, so my suggestions include a quiet place and yeah. bird box. But also, if you want to throw in some kind of mist ish, uh, Silent Hill. <laughs> Oh, sure. Fantastic. I guess it, it gets like foggy. Yeah, sirens. <laughs> yeah, sirens. I honestly, mm. so when that siren went off in this movie, it very much reminded me of Silent Hill. That's so funny. It reminded me of Beyonce's song, Ring the Alarm. <laughs> <laughs> it reminded that siren me. came on and I was like, where's Beyonce? <laughs> okay. Cool. <laughs> Amazing. It reminded me of what was going to happen if I didn't get that uh, two-minute thing done in time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Oh well, this wraps up our uh, episode of The Mist. You can find us on all social media platforms, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, at TalkHorrorPod. Also, thank you once again to Kieran for coming here as a guest. Uh, for one more time, Kieran, tell us where they can find you on, yeah, the, on the socials and everything. Yeah, everything is best picture cast, just as it sounds. You can search for us on any podcast platform, any social media platform. Uh, we're interactive, so we love when people listen to an episode and then come back with questions or criticisms and all that. You know, um, five stars, please. Did I get that right? Yeah, so, yeah. Best picture cast, check us out. We do a whole bunch of different stuff, um, you know, and, and thanks for having me, guys. Uh, this is a blast. I did. Love to be a part of it. Yeah, thank yeah. you so much. 
Yeah, we'll definitely have to come back. We'll have to find a mist adjacent yes. uh, to have a part, part two for this. And maybe we'll do like Care Bears Halloween special or something next time. <laughs> I'm down. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. And producer Brian, where can they listen to us? Yeah, uh, just like Best Picture Cast, you can find us wherever you get podcasts, Spotify, um, you you can find us on YouTube. Hi, YouTube. Um, and then, of course, you can find us uh, – uh, Apple Podcasts. Um, don't forget to rate and review us there. Five stars, please. <laughs> what? Oh, man. That was oh, fireworks on Nikisha's screen. Now you have to watch the YouTube because Nikisha just has fireworks behind her. I don't know what happened. Not just by, like not like behind her out of a window. Like literally like in the room with her. What was that? What wow. just? <laughs> what? That was perfect. That, is that the, was. I don't know what, what just happened. I, I, that was. That was crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm sorry to distract. No, yes. you didn't no, distract. That anything. was incredible. That's what we want the stars to look like when you rate us. Um, <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Kieran, I want to second what Jamie and Nikisha said. Thank you so much for joining us. We're so happy that you picked this movie because I don't know if we ever would have outside of that. Um, but um, yeah, I, I this was really fun. Thanks for bringing so much to the conversation. Oh, of course. Uh, uh, like I said, I love listening. Um, I, I was just listening to you guys saw uh, saw X episode the other day, and I'm <laughs> literally laughing out loud. Jamie's reading off the <laughs> triggers, and she's just like, "I mean, you know, here's your legs, heads getting chopped off, brain surgery." And this is this is the line that got like you're just so numb to it. And the and this is the line that got me. You're like, "Uh, waterboarding with blood." <laughs> <laughs> That's a great that line. Is, uh, yeah. yeah, that's exactly what happens. Waterboarding <laughs> with blood. This, yeah, here we are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, thanks, guys. Fantastic. It's a blessing. Thank you. Um, thank you. And thank you guys uh, for listening to us. Make sure you check out Kier, uh, Kieran's podcast as well. But we'll see you guys in the next episode. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.